The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, I wanted to talk to you guys about the MLB Roto Baller Challenge, hosted by our friends at Fantrax on Fantrax.com. Fantrax is the most customizable free fantasy baseball platform in the industry, and that's why we're hosting over our 2022 Roto Baller Challenge over on Fantrax. If you want the greatest fantasy experiments, sign up for a free Roto Baller Challenge team today by going to rotoballer.com backslash challenge. All leagues are free to join, and you get to compete against Roto Baller writers and readers for a shot at $500 cash grand prize. All new Fantrax users get entered into a free giveaway to win a signed official MLB Wander Franco jersey. If you want to get entered to win a Wander Franco jersey and you're new to Fantrax, go to Fantrax.com backslash Bubba and sign up for your free Fantrax account today. Once you have your Fantrax account, go to rotoballer.com backslash challenge to join the challenge league. But go to Fantrax.com backslash Bubba to create your Fantrax account. Be entered to win a Wander Franco autographed jersey. But for now, welcome to Benched with Bubba. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bub on the Bat Flip, episode 116. We've finished with hitters, and we're heading to the mound doing our starting pitching previews for the 2022 fantasy baseball season. Like outfield, it'll come in two, maybe three episodes. We'll see how long the lockout goes. We might extend things. But uh, for now, we're going to try to get through 35 pitchers today. We'll see. Maybe it's 20. Maybe it's 30. We'll see. But we'll see how that goes. I'm on Twitter at BDentric, and my co-host is always on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Toby, how we doing, man? Bubba, nothing fills me with more joy outside of joining you every Tuesday night for a podcast than going into our pitching preview. I mean, I actually don't believe that hitters should be a part of fantasy baseball. I think we should only draft pitchers, and I think that that would be great. 
That would that that is the world I want to live in. It's not the world that exists right now, but I'm doing everything possible uh, with my with the little power that I have to make that that happen. Perfect, perfect. Uh, you're doing well with that because you've established quite the brand for yourself. You know, some say people have been doing it long before you, but you are the one that uh, made it a thing and and termed it the pocket aces. So it's a, it's great. And this is, this is kind of your episode because I, I honestly laugh every time someone says, uh, so what's your strategy with starting pitchers early in drafts? I'm like, uh, you're a new listener, aren't you? You definitely are a new listener because uh, Toby's uh, known for a few things. So let's just get right into it. What's your strategy this season, Toby, with starting pitching? Oh man, we are just hopping right into it. I did want to, um, I did want to give a little, a little kudos. I did, I guess I did come up with pocket aces, but uh, Ryan Bloomfield, yeah, uh, was was uh, I posted about this, but also I just wanted to give a shout out to at Pete My Slash Line, who has been listening to the podcast for a very very long time and always supporter. He actually before Ryan Bloomfield posted the pocket aces picture, he actually did it uh, back in November of 2019. So I want to give a shout out to Dynasty Junkie at Pete My Slash Line. Um, for also giving me the idea uh, to do that. So what is my, sorry, I just had to do a little bit of housekeeping. That's good housekeeping. So with the strategy, um, I think for this year, I mean, I think like previous years, it's going to be heavy pitching um, early on. Um, I mean, I think the general idea with doing pitching early on, and I did a little bit of a, a little bit of a spiel at uh, baseball HQ we did a little debate. Uh, debate. Um, me, it was me versus uh, Blair uh, from uh, from Razball, who's fantastic. I mean, he produces great content and he's a great um, follow on Twitter. I'd highly recommend um, following uh, Blair. I think it's at Everywhere Blair uh, is his Twitter handle. But we just did like they did a little like the pros and cons of different strategies, and we did focusing on pitching early versus not starting pitching early. And the thing for me about starting pitching early is the way that most of our leagues are set up. You know, you have 14 hitters, you have nine pitchers. Uh, the pitchers are inherently going to be more valuable, particularly the ones that throw a lot of innings because you have two or three relievers in there. And so even though there's nine pitcher slots, if you were to divide them by the number of innings that each one produces, you'd probably be around like 140 to 150 innings. So those guys that throw 180, 190, 200, they can have an, a huge impact on, um, you know, the contributions of your team. Even when you factor in that they can only contribute in four of the five pitching categories, they still have a leg up. And then you also have the two ratio categories um, for pitchers that you don't have with hitters. You just have the one ratio category. So as a result, you know, with hitters, you can stream and just grind out and generate a lot of things that on a per plate appearance basis, there's more of them. Runs, RBI, home runs. Um, even stolen bases, like to a lesser extent, depending on who the players are. But with the with the pitchers, you know, you can't, you can't, you're not going to get better by producing volume. You're not going to get better by streaming. And so that for me is why getting those elite starting pitchers early on is so important. And one of the reasons that I've found myself, I mean, most of my drafts so far have been uh, draft champions, but I've found myself more and more going heavy pitching and not just heavy starters, but also at least getting one of those top end closers, which is something I haven't done in the past, which as a result means that I've been heavier in pitching. And I think we've seen that that type of a strategy can work. I mean, the extreme that we've seen is Dalton Del Don and his strategy, 
where he essentially takes six pitchers to start off any draft. And he was able to, I believe he won at least one of his main events. He beat me in one of the main events, but it's a strategy that can work. Um, and so I think with starting pitchers this year, like what I'm really focusing on um, is there is a, a crew of starting pitchers um, through, and again, as we learn more, like as we get spring training or as we learn more about where players are at, like there's kind of that grouping that ends, I'd say probably around, um, you know, maybe Walker Bueller. Uh, he would probably be the end of it for me, but like the Garrett Cole, Corbin Burns, Max Scherzer, Brandon Woodruff, Zach Wheeler in that group. And obviously DeGrom will fall in there if he's healthy. Like those are the guys that I think I want to get one of, one of those, one of those pitchers on my team. For me, that's kind of like the really elite players. And I think Shane Bieber jumps into that. If we see that he's healthy, if we see that the velocity's back because the contributions have been, have been better there. Um, so I want to get one of those guys. And then I also probably want to get one, um, at least one of kind of the next tier. Um, and there's guys that I like that we're going to go through, but, um, that tier goes through kind of, um, Charlie Morton probably would be kind of the last one in there. Again, there's guys that I like and that I don't like, but I want to have at least two of those, um, pitchers, um, when it comes to starting pitchers. And I think the challenge for me, there's like a, a handful of guys that I like kind of in that middle tier. And then there's really only like two pitchers I like between there and pick 250. So for me, I'm really going to hit it or hit it hard early on. Um, get those guys that are going to produce the volume. Um, and for me, what that ends up resulting in is more streaming of hitters or just going for plate appearances with hitters. And, I, and I'm fine with that strategy um, uh, heading into this year, just because we see kind of that landscape shifting where you have fewer starters that throw a lot of innings, making them more valuable. And then you have fewer hitters that are getting 600 plate appearance appearances, which makes plate appearances more valuable. And so you kind of align those two strategies. And that's why I believe in the kind of pitching strategy that I do for this particular season. No, it makes sense. It's been working great for you. Um, for me this year is in, in years past, especially since I started recording shows with you, I've been more inclined to go with a heavy ace, if not pocket aces, or like two out of three rounds or something like that. I've been pretty, pretty prominent in that this year. I like that next tier so much. And I even like some of the, the following tier. I'm not forcing my hand. Um, when we talk about the, uh, the the pitchers here in a little bit, I don't think I have anybody in one through five on any of my rosters, which does a lot right now uh, for how many drafts I've done. But I do start to sprinkle in that six through 10 range. And But similar to you, by the time I get to, you know, Morton's 28. So let's just say, let's say 35. By the end of this episode, potentially, I like to have three to four pitchers already. Like I'm trying to have a big crew. Like uh, I did an OC the other night and uh, it wasn't my goal to take a bunch of pitchers, especially in a 12 team league. But like I had Scherzer, Barrios, uh, McClanahan, Erod's not in this list, but I, I felt like I was able to kind of navigate the minefields and get some, uh, some pitchers. I like at least I think they'll be strong for this year and not force my hand, but there was a lot of pitchers dropping in that draft. That was a whole nother deal. It's like Alcantara went crazy late. But um, I think a lot of people kind of have my mindset, which thinks we can wait, we can wait, we can wait. And you're starting to see that more than 12 teams. You can wait a little more. 
because there is like that depth is so crazy. But 15s, which Toby plays a lot more 15s than 12s, that getting those two aces, like you mentioned, to shore up your ratios and everything is tremendous. Uh, I had Dalton on last Wednesday to talk about his yellow brick road and how he's doing it. And even this year, he's trying to incorporate two closers into it. So he's going like seven or eight rounds deep in his uh, yellow brick road. And he was talking about how it worked out last year and how he almost took down like a big chunk of the OC. Uh, obviously wouldn't have won the overall, but he was he was sitting pretty towards the end. Um, it worked like you said in the main. He he feels like it's more efficient in the 12 team, which kind of goes back to what I mentioned about the depth of the pitcher pool uh, or just anything in general, depth of players in general in a 12-team league. So it uh, it's an interesting strategy. I had a listener um, listen to the podcast and message that said, I'm inspired. I jumped into an FBC 50 to try it out. He tried it out. It's interesting. It, it's definitely an interesting approach. His pitching is ridiculous. Like it's so loaded, which you'd expect. But uh, the, I'm always concerned with the hitting. 12 teams, like you can make it work a lot better. So that's another hey, podcast. Hey, hey, Bubba, quick question. So we're drafting Barf this weekend, right? Yep. So what Next happens? What happens when two teams draft six starting pitchers and closers to start drafts? What you and Dalton going just crazy yeah? What heavy. happens if that happens? The worst part is Dalton's like, well. <laughs> You guys just take all the pitching categories and we just load up elsewhere and fight for it'll be like Sparta for the hitters, but um, it'll it, it'll be wild. Let's put it that way. You guys will set the tone for some crazy. It, it, I've been thinking about it. It would be interesting, right? Because I mean, there's a certain thing that just says okay, like shoot for those for the 13s in the category, which yeah, you know, is 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 totally great. But I was just thinking, like, it would be really interesting because I've been in drafts with Dalton before, and it's. Yeah. It's not fun. Well, for someone with your strategy, it's like really bad. At least with me, yeah. where I feel like, okay, well, I don't, I don't want like have to leave with pocket aces. Where I know you, you don't have to, but you're like, I, I, I can already picture you while the draft's going on, like not feeling happy as things are taking, like pivoting off of this and that and the other. Because, like, you have, I'm not saying it's scripted, but you kind of have like your first five or six rounds in your head kind of scripted. I've like just by talking with you, and then you pivot a lot as it goes from there. But you kind of want that start somewhere in that range and Dalton messes with that for sure in a big big way so the only thing I'd say is Dalton will do his thing if a second person I say yourself tries to do it I think just everyone's just gonna go pitcher crazy because you got Eno in the room Mason's Mason's maybe he'll bob and weave to be different but I know I'd start to be aggressive just because I I wouldn't want like I like some of that later pitching but as much as I love Erod he can't be my ace like that's just simple. My number two, I could live with. I prefer number three. Like he's my number four in that other league. That's awesome to me, but uh, he can't be my one. Let's put it that way. Um, and that's where it gets tough. Cause the whole point of doing those pocket aces or the, the yellow brick road, as you mentioned, it's to build such stability in those ratios that you don't have to worry about things. And then with the yellow brick road, barring, you know, guys staying healthy all year, which is tough to do. So you ride hot in that regard. Now you don't have to spend any money on streaming. So you can focus on bats. You can pay more on bats. You can do all these things that just changes the entire season for you, which makes it quite intriguing. So I'd love to see you try it. If anything, it might offset his pattern because just with that room we have, I don't see everybody sitting idle and letting you two both do it. Like one guy, I could see like getting away with it too. I don't see it happening. Oh man, and, and, It'll be fascinating. and the more I think about it, well, Dalton didn't start the Yellow Brick Road till last year, did he? 
Last year was the first yeah, I think year. last year, yeah. Okay, yeah, although I didn't, ago. I wasn't in other leagues with him. I don't think before then, except yeah, for Barf. Yeah, because two years ago when we did Barf, he didn't do that. I know that mm-hmm. for a fact. So that would have stood out there. Then again, that was with quality starts, and it was different than we're now going to be on the NFBC platform this year. So that'll be different. But um, yeah, so we'll see. It'll be fun to see how he. Maybe he just he did mention on the podcast that he was thinking about doing just one. One draft, so maybe this is the one ah. where he goes where he, where he goes like twelve hitters first, and then takes all dart pitchers later, which I don't think is a great idea because yeah. your ratio, like, it's just, there's way too much volatility there. But it could be interesting. I'll say that much. Yeah, for sure. All right, enough of that. Let's get into some um, some ADP here, and I don't know if you noticed on the outline, I mixed it up because we are kind of getting more data and drafts i went to online drafts now instead of dcs so at least people are kind of having to think with uh fab in, uh, instances here so i dated it back to 222 it gives us eight drafts in that time that'll be the adp we're using this go round. so the top pitcher off the board is garrett cole followed by shohei otani corbin burns jacob Degrom, and walker bueller cole is uh, adp around six otani 10 burns 10 they have the same adp actually DeGrom about 18 and Bueller 19. So what are you doing in this range? Like I said, I like guys here. I just don't have a lot of shares of guys here. And I put Otani here because we didn't do a utility podcast. I could see an argument for leaving him out of this. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think in most leagues, I mean, there are leagues where he will be drafted as a pitcher only. Um, so if that's the case, he's not, he, I don't think he's in this range just because he doesn't have the same volume that these guys have. Um, I mean, for me in this range, like I really want to get Cole or Burns for me. I think they're kind of head and shoulders for me above the rest. Um, you know, I'm not sure whether we're going to have a shortened season or not. Obviously, the shorter the season, I think the higher Burns moves up in comparison to Cole. But I have Cole as my as my one. He's just been consistently great. I think, you know, people may be a little bit more hesitant this year to go after him because he struggled a little bit down the stretch. But even when you look at that, he didn't struggle skills wise. It was just with some of the results that were taking place. And uh, because of that, like I'm totally fine getting him. The skills were still really strong. It, he was also coming back from injury and he never really looked right. You know, the same like the same guy um, after returning from that from that injury. And so, you know, for me, it's Cole, uh, number one, and then uh, Burns, number two, Um and then from that point in time, I mean, DeGrom is the number one pitcher if he's healthy and he looks great in spring training. Like if he's in spring training, he has a normal spring training and, you know, um, and the velo is still there. Like there's no velo concerns. He's he's one one for me. I mean, honestly, like I'll take him with the first pick um, in a draft. Um, and uh, and so, you know, there's kind of that. And I think it's tough to really talk about DeGrom at all because. I mean, he's just the best inning per inning pitcher. Uh, with with uh, Bueller and do you want me to get to Scherzer yet, or should I just wait? Since Otani's no, leave him. Wait, wait. Did they change overnight on me again? No, Scherzer six. So just top five. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, and then with Bueller, I haven't gotten Bueller. I mean, I don't think the projections do a good job with Bueller. He's always outperformed his projections. He's always had a very low BABIP. I think it has to do with the velocity. Um, there are guys who are just elite velocity guys. We see something similar with Sandy Alcantara, where um, because of that, and does, is, is, it a sli- is it a sinker that Bueller throws? 
I'm pretty um, sure I haven't looked, but it let me just be check really sinker. quickly. I think I think he's a, right. I think he was a sinker guy. Yeah. Um, he used to be. Uh, let's see. Uh, no, it's mostly four seam guy. It's so bad, it's the bad four seam fastball, but it's effective. A bad, yeah, yeah, yeah. effective four seam fastball. Yeah. Well, a lot of those high velo guys, they just don't give up the same quality um, of contact. The same quality of contact, and he's been able to do that. And so I, I'm not too concerned about that. I just think that from a skills perspective, I'm a very much a skills drafter. So. You know, if you go to league leaders and you search by K minus walk rate, you search by swinging strike rate, you search by in zone contact rate. Those are the guys that are generally going to be the best pitchers in the league, with some exceptions. And those are the those are the guys that I that I like to target later on in drafts as well. Um, so I'm a skills drafter. Bueller doesn't necessarily have that going for him. He really dipped in the second half in terms of skills and K rate and pretty much everything. Um, uh, once they got rid of the sticky stuff, I don't know if it's the sticky stuff or not, or just regression, right? But he just doesn't have those same skills. So while he may be able to produce the volume, that's pretty equivalent to um, other players, you know, going kind of in this range. He's not going to be able to provide the same um, uh, number of Ks necessarily. And I also worry about the velo drop towards the end of the season. I never think that that's like a good thing to see from a player, a play, uh, especially a guy who throws that hard. So again, you know, not really drafting him at this point. If he falls far enough, then fine. He's on the Dodgers. Good team. Going to win a lot of games. But, you know, if I'm looking at that top five, you know, I really want to be grabbing, you know, Cole, Burns, or DeGrom, you know, again, if he's healthy uh, or not. Yeah. Like I said, this is a range I don't have. I've been trying to, I guess it's because I either draft too early or I'm getting one of the bats I like, or I get too late and burns and Cole are gone and so i'm like well now we're going to an outfielder or some sort i guess kind of where i've been stuck every time so um i love cole if you can get cole i prefer burns over cole which it's like some people disagree with i could be totally crazy there but i like the the upside well the more they both are great it's like picking that straws but I, i like burns over cole that division that uh that workhorse mentality on that team i'll, I'll take burns if i'm Picking at straws, basically, but both great arms. Uh, Degrom, I'm just staying away from. Like you said, if he's healthy, he's awesome. I can't, I can't personally take that risk at that point in the draft. So we'll stay away there. I like Bueller. I have not drafted Bueller just because I am concerned that you we just continuously see this like velo thing kind of dropping and just weird production with Bueller, but it's been effective. So like I love Bueller. If people remember, like a year or so ago. I predicted him to be a Cy Young guy. I think it was in 2020, the uh, the uh, COVID year before COVID happened. We thought we had a full season. So um, I love him. I just, I'm waiting for something. It just, I don't know. I, I'm bad with pitchers. So this is why I don't take one early. The one thing I will say is I do have one Shohei share. I remember that now. I have one Shohei share in an NPC 50 um, because I wanted one. And I said, okay, I got to try one. But the reality of the situation is he'll be a hitter majority of the time. That's just how it's going to go. So I won't start him on the mound too often unless you really need a pitcher. Like if you play cut line or best ball, Shohei's amazing. He's a unicorn because they'll they'll pick which week was better and put him in that position for you. So he's great in that regard. But in just like a standalone league where you have to like set lineups and everything, he'll pretty much be a bat for me more often than not. But it's a nice flexibility to have one of your 50 roster spots or 30 if you're in another league. 
that has a guy that can play both positions. That's pretty clutch. Now, if you're in another league like Yahoo's or different, like if you're in Tout Wars where he's only one or the other, that's different. So keep that in mind. But uh, I wouldn't be drafting him as a primary pitcher, let's put it that way, because I, I still have concerns with him making enough starts. They want the six-man rotation and everything along those lines. He's a beast. He's awesome. There's no hiding that. I just have concerns there. So Burns is my main guy in this range. I have no problem with any of them in reality, except DeGrom. I just I can't bring myself to doing that right now. All right, 6 through 10. Scherzer at pick 20. Wheeler, 24. Woodruff, 24 and a half. Hinnada-da-da-da. Bieber, 32 and a half. Julio Urias, 35. So what do you like in this grouping? Yeah, um, this is a grouping that I like um, a decent amount. Um, I would say, you know, I, I like Scherzer. I'm trying to get over my biases with Scherzer because, or not like my biases necessarily, but the projections absolutely love Scherzer. Like my projections for TGFBI using um, TGFBI as an example, like a 15 team standard league, you know, I have Scherzer as pitcher number three you know, uh, player number 10 overall. And so the projections love Scherzer. They love Scherzer last year. They were right last year. I was wrong last year, you know, in put it placing too much value in a small sample in terms of batted ball quality, um, and stuff. And so like, again, as long like there are the arm issues towards the back end of last year, but how many years have we been like, Oh, well, Scherzer had, you know, this little issue or that little issue. And he's still the pitcher that he's been great at. So I think I have two shares of Scherzer so far in, in my DCs. And I don't mind drafting him in the first round, you know, in the top 15, you know, or grabbing him in the second round. I think that's a really nice spot to get him. Um, he's actually like, honestly, like a really great SP two because there's just, I think there's very little downside as long as he's pitching. And, um, he's probably going to pitch. He's in a great ballpark with the Mets. The Mets are spending a lot of money. They should have a better offense than they've had previously. They should have a decent bullpen, you know, knock on wood, of course, like Edwin Diaz is good. You know, hopefully Lugo will be better. Trevor may has been a good solid pitcher as well. So there's, there's a lot of reasons I think for optimism around Scherzer. And so I'm going to be like, you want to know something? I may not want to like Scherzer, but I've been wrong enough where I'm just going to trust the projections and the projections don't see him falling off. And he's just been such an elite contributor for such a long time. For me, what's really interesting is Wheeler above Woodruff. That is really interesting to me. Um, I would, I would switch it. I would say Woodruff over Wheeler. I can see them being relatively similar and I can see the argument for Wheeler being the, um, being the volume you know, I think he's thrown the most number of innings over the last however many things. But when you look from a skills perspective, I mean, Woodruff is just better than Zach Wheeler. He's a, he's going to be in a better division. He's has a, you know, he's better swinging strike rate. Like everything is pretty much better. I should, I should double check that. But at least over the, I should double check that. Let me double check that just so that I'm not embarrassing myself. <laughs> um, because sometimes, you know, we get thoughts in our heads about, um, certain things and we don't shake them. So he was, uh, so Wheeler was at 12.3% last year for swinging strike rate in zone contact was at 82.9. He had a 23.7 K minus walk Woodruff and a 35.20 swing. And then Woodruff had 
12.9% swinging strike rate. So slightly better. 23.7 K minus walk 34.80 swing. So they're essentially like identically the same yep. pitchers, slightly better Z contact. Um, so that's why they're so close together. So maybe it's the volume for Wheeler that's pushing him above. I do think that, um, I do think that just from like a sustainability standpoint, I do think that, that Woodruff has consistently had that higher elevated K rate over the last three seasons 29%, 31.1, 29.8. I think the divisional situation is much better. I, it'll probably play worse teams. Um, and so I would still lean Wheeler here, but I would go kind of, I would or Woodruff. I would go Woodruff Wheeler, but I like them both. Um, and then with Bieber, you know, really nice to hear that he's 100%. If I see that in spring training, you can kind of bump him up. I'm, I'm fine taking him in the second round. I mean, if you think about it, like, a Cole or Burns and Bieber in a main event for pocket aces Pretty would solid. be a really nice start. You know, if Bieber, again, if the velocity is back to where it was, you know, um, then I think that could be a really nice start. Cause again, the AL central will not be that great, um, uh, you know, at all. And so a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a boost there. Urias is a guy that I'm totally off of. Um, and I could be super wrong. There's some very smart people I know that like um, Urias a lot. But again, like I'm a skills guy. So 11.2% swinging strike rate is the lowest, probably in like the top 100 of pitchers outside of Jose Barrios, probably. You know, 11.2% swinging strike rate. I'm not quite sure where the elevated K rate comes from. It was at 26.2% last year. Um, even though his, his, his swinging strike rate was actually down last year from 11.7 to 11.2 and his CSW isn't special either. It was 29.7. So that was slightly elevated better than league average, but not anywhere close to what it it should be. So 26.2%, I think you're going to see a little bit regression come there. Um, you know, some great movement though, in the O swing that has increased, you know, his in-zone contact isn't that great either. It's right around league average at 84.9%. Um, and I think when you look at him over the shorter period of time, I'll double check. I think he's also going down there a little bit. So, you know, again, you have the suppressed BABIP, which isn't anything new for him, but I just don't necessarily see the K's being there. Um, the innings pitch will be interesting, you know, cause he had just such a jump from previous seasons. He had a jump of a hundred innings from, any prior work that he'd had. So I'm curious to see what happens um, there, but I just see some regression in some of the other things. Like his first pitch strike rate was at 70.7%. So he was getting well ahead of batters, but that's also like, you know, way higher than at any point in his career. So it may just be that's a, that, that that's a little bit of an anomaly and there's a regression there, which will hit the walk rate probably a little bit. And also maybe the quality of contact. Um, so I just don't see how Urias, like everybody talks about Sandy Alcantara and like how, you know, the metrics, you know, maybe aren't like the best for him from a K perspective. I don't know how you can necessarily make the argument that Urias going well ahead of Sandy Alcantara, um, has better skills than Sandy does. Um, especially when you look at like the last, you know, 10 games or something like that. I'll, 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 I'm going to look at that right now just to make sure I'm not talking out of my butt, which is perfectly 
logical mm-hmm. and, and likely outcome um, for most of the podcast tonight. But yeah, so here's Urias's last 10 games. His end zone contact rate was at 87.3%, which is worse than league average. The O string O swing still pretty good, really good at 34%. K rate was down at 25%, so down slightly. Walk rate was up to 5.8%, swinging strike rate down to 9.6%. So again, we saw those skills go down, you know, considerably there. And his yeah, and his XFIP was over four over that period of time. Again, like, you know, he, he's he's probably outperformed that considerably. He's on a really good team. I think the difference is just like, is he a 3-5 ERA guy? Or is he like an, a sub-3 guy? And is he like a 102 whip guy? Or is he like a 110 to 115 whip guy? And And I think that, to me, is the question. And then like just the general volume pieces. Let me just check one last thing before I stop talking here. And I'm just going to check his velo to see what that did over the course of the season as the season progressed. Yeah. So towards the end of the season, we definitely saw a velo dip um, for him, but just slight, just a slight dip um, for him. So not too much of a, not too much of a concern. Um, Oh, that's by day. Let's look at his last 10. Always riveting, I know. I apologize. Yeah, so his velo was down, you know, like it, it for the 10 games ending October 2nd, it was at 93.7 as compared to his peak, which was, you know, about 94.2 um, towards the middle of the season. So he's only down like, you know, 0.5 miles per hour, but it impacted the skills. So that's just a really long way of saying, I don't understand the hype really around Urias. Um, and I apologize. If you guys can't tell, Toby likes starting pitchers a lot. So, oh man, the- does that mean we're going late tonight, Bubba? No, Holy we're not. Man. We're just not going to cover thirty-five. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so when it comes to Scherzer, I, this is a guy that I've been taking a lot. Like I, I'm with you. I think he should be higher in this list. Like the fact he's the sixth starting pitcher off the board surprises me a ton. Going to New York is just fine. Still a good pitcher's ballpark. Defense should be pretty decent behind him. Uh, with Lindor and company there, and Marte is an improvement yeah, in center field, even Kana. So he's got a good outfield behind him. Strikeouts will be there. He'll eat his innings. Uh, I got no problem with Scherzer at all. I know some people are concerned with the back and this and that and the other. I'm I'm just fine with Scherzer because he's, he's a workhorse that it's not like ligament stuff like DeGrom has. This is a different deal. And I usually worry about back injuries, but Scherzer's back injury for some reason, like he, he said he could have pitched basically type stuff, and we saw him come out of the bullpen. I, I'm not as worried with Scherzer right now, and uh, I, I'd roll with him as a one. I'm also kind of with you on Woodruff over Wheeler. I I'm I like – they're both workhorses, as you mentioned. I think Woodruff's floor is it's so much safer than Wheeler's. Like Wheeler finally took that big jump in strikeouts last year, which you know a lot of people saw coming, but it finally happened. Can you do it two years in a row? Can you be that effective two years in a row? Still a tough ballpark to pitch in. He's pitched very well in that ballpark. The division stuff too. Like there's a lot of things that work in Woodruff's favor. The division he's got, those matchups. We, you saw the outings he had against the Cubs and stuff. He just mowed dudes down for seven plus innings, ten plus Ks. Like people forgot how good Woodruff was because Burns was so good. And that's just that's what's that's what I think pushes Woodruff back. Like if Burns wasn't as good as he would he was, obviously he wouldn't be going third overall. But Woodruff might even be going like in the top five somewhere. So he is that good. And I think he's a very, very good option 
uh, behind Scherzer. I don't have a problem with Wheeler, but I, I prefer Woodruff over Wheeler. And then Bieber is interesting. Yeah, he said he's 100%. I like to see, like you said, I like to see it. Maybe see a, a team doctor say something about that because, you know, I'm always optimistic that I'm feeling good when I'm doing something. But let's see how it, it really goes when rubber meets the road. So let's see how Beebs looks. Didn't throw a ton of innings last year. I know he did previously, so he should be fine. But at the same time, there are some concerns there. We'll see how that plays out uh, with Beebs. And then uh, Urias, I'm with you. I, I have zero shares of Urias. I've not talked, like, even thought about drafting Urias. He's a guy that I'm okay being wrong on. Uh, the increase in workload was just tremendous last year, and that is terrifying for me for a guy that's, like, battled injury after injury after injury. To take that kind of workload jump is just scary to me we talk about i think it was on this show or some show or maybe i listened to it but uh, they talk about like these veteran guys um are the ones that can take the innings differences easier it's these young oh scherzer said it scherzer said it in an article the athletic i quote tweeted it a while back um that he's fine with the veteran guys with the the short 20 uh you know 60 game season the jump in 2021 not worried about them he said he's more worried about the young pitchers that never done it before which makes a lot of sense Thus, Urias fits that block very, very, very well. You mentioned the velo decreasing. The swinging strike rate is con- like is, is concerning to me. So zero Urias for me. None at all. I, I, just, I can't do it. I won't do it. And uh, I'm, I'll be okay being wrong doing it if that's the case. All right. 11 through 15 on our list here. Aaron Nola at 40. Lucas Gilito at 41. Sandy Alcantara at 44, Robbie Ray at 47, and Freddie Peralta just about 49. There's another good group. A lot of good pitchers here, Toby. Yeah, it really is um, a nice little group of pitchers. Um, So for me, I actually don't have a ton from this group. I've got, I think, one share of Nola. I don't have any of Giolito, which just like hurts my soul because I absolutely adore him. I had all um, the Giolito last year. I had like none this year. Yeah. And I have a couple shares of Sandy as well that I got kind of towards the back end in 15 teamers towards the back end of the third round. Um, I don't have any, what is it? Ray and Peralta are the next two. Uh, yes. Um, I don't have any Ray and I don't have any Peralta either. Um, with Peralta, it's not really, you know, a lot of this is just, um, a lot of this is just the way that the board is falling for me because if I'm grabbing two starting pitchers early or I'm grabbing, I'm normally grabbing a closer in the third or fourth round. Um, if not in the second round, if I grab like a closer in the second round, at least in my DC so far, I'm grabbing a starting pitcher in the third round probably. And that's where like, I've gotten Alcantara, I've gotten Anola, And then in the fourth round, I'm normally going for a hitter at that point in time. So it just hasn't worked out with Freddie Peralta at all. I mean, Nola is like the biggest conundrum, right? I mean, Last year, he was phenomenal skills-wise. 24.6% K-walk, minus 30% K-rate, 5% walk rate. I mean, absolutely phenomenal. 12.8% swinging strike rate. O-swing was fine as well. I mean, he was just lights out. He was fantastic. It was his best full season skills-wise that he's had. He didn't walk guys. He didn't do anything. But he gave up a ton of home runs. He gave up a ton of home runs, I think, with guys on base which is just a luck thing because the vast majority of the home runs you give up are going to be solo home runs because most of the, most of the hitters that come up uh, have the bases empty. He had a strand rate that was left on base rate last year. Yeah. His strand rate is super low. It's 66.8%. His career BABIP, you know, he um, is 294 after having a 308 this year. 
right? His whip was still 113, even though his ERA was 463. He still had 223 strikeouts. So the guy is really, really good. I think the only concerning thing for me, I mean, I think he's great. He's phenomenal. I've drafted him. I have no problem with him. If he's your SP1, I think that's fine. You know, there's obviously risk, but I mean, just look at like, let's just say you take the last five years that he's pitched. Three, five, four ERA, one, two, one whip. Two, three, seven ERA, 0.97 whip. Three, eight, seven ERA, one, two, seven whip. Three, two, eight ERA, 1.08 whip. Four, six, three ERA, one, one, three whip. In all those situations and in, in the last three full seasons, he has over 200 strikeouts. Every single, you'd take, Almost every single number, except for maybe the one, two, seven and the four, six, three, right? And, and so he's really good. The one thing I have a concern about is that he made a shift in his pitch mix last year where he moved away from the sinker. Let me just get the numbers here before I embarrass myself. So he threw in his most successful season, which was a shortened season, was in 2020. He threw the four-seam fastball 25%, and he threw the sinker 21%. Last year, he threw the four-seamer 36.7%, and he threw the the sinker 15%. And then he also cut back on the changeup usage as well. And I think the challenge there, if I'm going to look at his pitch splits, and I'm sorry, I'll try not to go this deep on everybody. I'm sorry, guys. Um, if you look at his, at like the batted ball profile of his pitches, the four seamer gives up a 53% fly ball rate and a 24% ground ball rate. The sinker has a 43.1% ground ball rate and a 27.8%. So essentially you have like almost a flip flop in terms of ground ball to air ball, including line drives between the four seam and the sinker which exponentially increases the number of fly balls that he's giving up. And he's not in a great park and he doesn't have an overwhelming four seamer. So I'm not sure why he's doing that. And then when we look at the changeup, the changeup has a 55.7% ground ball rate and a 16% fly ball rate. So why are you going away from the changeup? Why are you throwing that less? Why are you throwing the four-seamer more? There's honestly not a huge difference. Like, what is the swinging strike rate difference that we've got there? Like, it's 9.2%, which sucks. I mean, it's not that good. It's not horrible. And then it's 5.6% on the sinker. But instead of throwing the four-seamer more, if you don't want to throw the sinker more, throw the changeup more, right? Throw the curveball more. You have these two pitches that work on both-handed batters. Do that. So I don't know why, and we can't predict that that's going to change, but I want to see that change for Nola. And if he does, I think he's an absolutely elite pitcher, and he probably still is anyway. With Giolito, um, I like Giolito. If you look at him, he had a minor faltering post-sticky stuff, but he really regained it. He's in a great division, and he's on the White Sox, right? Like, he's going to be going up the most against the Twins, the Tigers, the Royals, and the Guardians. Guardians. And the Guardians have gotten worse. You know, the Royals are about the same. The Tigers have gotten a little bit better, but also like they've gotten a little bit better by getting Javi Baez, which, you know, yeah, be nice. he might hit be a nice. run, but be nice. I mean, I mean whatever. <laughs> and they're probably likely to get a little bit better, but they're not a good team. And then the Twins are not a great team either, right? I don't think they're hitting wise 
are going to be a fantastic team. And so you've got to like just his situation um, as well. So I don't mind Giolito. I just haven't gotten him because I like Nola more. And if I'm grabbing a starting pitcher here, it's, 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 it's honestly probably Nola. Um, after that, I like Sandy. I like Sandy. I want to love Sandy. Um, I want to love Sandy more. Um, and in order to do that, I'm not going to focus on any of the negative stuff that all these haters are putting out there about Sandy. Um, you know, he has always outperformed his metrics. He may, he suppresses Babbitt because he's throwing like the bejesus out of the ball. He suppresses home runs. So he does all those things that you love from a batted ball quality perspective. He had an 18% K minus walk rate, which is fine. His swinging strike rate was actually better than Zach Wheeler. It was better than Woodruff. His O swing was better than Woodruff. His O swing was better than Wheeler. So he doesn't walk guys. He strikes him out at a decent clip. And then towards the end of last year, I mean, you want to know why I really loved him heading into last year was because of his performance against the Yankees when he, he wanted the ball. It was clear. He was in that, uh, wild card round with them. And he wanted the ball in that game five. I think that they ended up was no, no. What was that? What, what, what was the game against the Yankees was the last, it was the last. No, it couldn't have been in the playoffs. Well, no, what was it? Playoffs. It was, uh, what was it? It was, I think it was the Yankees in that last series where it's like, they needed to win out essentially to go to the playoffs, to make that final playoff spot. And he wanted the ball and he was just a big game pitcher, but for Sandy, and I apologize, there are people in the chat who are encouraging me to go yes. to go deep here. And Bubba's super disappointed because he wants to get deep here and stop listening to the sound of my voice. But over the last 10 games for Sandy Alcantara, the Z contact rate, the end zone contact was down to 83%. The O swing was an insane 40%. The K rate was a 29.4%, right around where Woodruff and Wheeler are. The swinging strike rate was at 15.8%, higher than where Wheeler and Woodruff are. And the walk rate was at a measly 3.3%. So his K minus walk rate was better, was like 26.5%. Like that's absolutely incredible. That is amazing from Sandy Alcantara. His velocity over that time I didn't think it was possible to increase. I thought only Jacob deGrom was able to do that, but it increased. His forcing fastball averaged 98.4 miles per hour over his last 10 games. So I haven't been drafting a ton of Sandy. I see all the reasons to draft him, why so many people love him. I do hate him being on the Marlins. I, there's so many games last year where he just was out, lights out, and he couldn't win the game because the Marlins suck and they're going to suck this year again. Um, and so that's the only thing that gives me a little bit of pause, but I can definitely see saying taking Sandy Robbie Ray is a no-go for me. I think he's, I actually love where he ended up. I love that he re- ended up with the, the Mariners because they're really good at pitchers, but the, the stats that I'll say about Robbie Ray are, you know, 268 Babbitt career 305, 90.1% strand rate career 77%. Uh, He still gives up a ton of home runs. The walks are way down, but I expect a little bit of regression there. Um, He was in the zone more, the first pitch strike rate. All of those metrics were at the highest they've ever been in his career. But I think when people do that, I think it's really hard to sustain those types of changes. And it would actually be interesting to see. Let's see. 
let's see how those metrics did over the like last half of the season. Um, so yeah, so like early on in the season, that first pitch strike rate was at like 63, 64%. It ended up at 59.1%. The O swing kept on increasing, which is really nice. Um, walk rate went up back up to like 7.6% over his last 15 games. So he had this really nice stretch at the beginning of the season where he was able to maintain that, that control, but I just don't necessarily think that he has it. I do love where he ended up, but there's regression coming back. I don't know how deep it's going to be. Um, but I'm thinking like, you know, kind of more in the high threes ERA, you know, and that whip being in like the one, two ish range, which, you know, is still fine. And the strikeouts are going to be there. Um, so I still think he's fine, but I just haven't really been that, that interested in, cause sometimes these things go horribly wrong. Um, and then lastly with like Freddie Peralta, I think Peralta is really a, a really good pitcher. I think the question mark is about, um, is just about the volume. You know, last year, what do you throw? 140, 144. Maybe he takes a little bit of a step up, but I don't know how much of a step up. I think the beautiful thing about him is he's a guy who came in and he was a two-pitch pitcher and nobody believed he could create a third pitch and he really has. I mean, he's now, I think he's got like four pitches um, at this point in time. He's really good. I mean, the BABIP was insanely low. Um, the strand rate was the highest that it's been. You know, K-minus walk rate, beautiful. Swinging strike rate, beautiful. You know, he just, the problem with him for me is just the walk rate. Like he can't get swings on pitches, uh, swing, swings on pitches outside the zone. You know, he had his highest O swing last year and it was around 31% or I know it was 29.2%, right? So below league average. I don't love guys like that. I don't love guys like that because I think, I think, you know, you can see the walk rate really blowed up. And then if batted ball luck goes the wrong way, then it goes bad, but um, I still like Peralta. I think he's fine. I'm not a, I probably won't have a ton of him though. Yeah, no, Nola, you said it earlier, uh, about 10 minutes ago that, uh, as an, as, <laughs> Bella, are you throwing shade? Are you throwing shade at me as an, uh, SP one? I, I, I like him quite a bit. I have him a lot of places. Like I got him in tout. I got him in a couple other leagues. So uh, I'm a fan of him, you know, 180 pitch or innings pitched last year. He's been over 200. Uh, in back-to-back seasons in 18 and 19. He's got pure volume when it comes to Nola. He strikes guys out like crazy. Like, and you mentioned the walk rate was one of the best of his career. Uh, just bad up to death, left on base, was not a helpful thing. But you look at all the ratios and everything, and um, there, there should be a lot of positives coming out of Aaron Nola's camp. So I'm willing to go back to that well there uh, as he's getting drafted later and later in draft. So he's, a, he's someone I, I have targeted quite a bit. I am confused, like we said earlier about Lucas Giolito, like how I have zero Lucas Giolito is beyond me, but I guess it's like I just grab Nola uh, or I move on type deal. So I have no Giolito, unfortunately. Um, Yes, Justin. Justin loves the solo pause with Toby as well. Uh, (laughs) But uh, And Nick gave you your stats for Alcantara, by the way. September 14th versus the Mets. Um, But uh, so Gio, I had none of, unfortunately. But uh, hopefully that can change. Maybe it'll change on Saturday. Justin. Write that down, Geo, Saturday. But um, Sandy is a fun one because I love Sandy. Uh, you you nailed it. The pitch mix changes he made. I, me- I remember at first pitch Arizona, I actually was sitting with Nick and Spore talking about like the pitch mix changes, the velocity changes, looking at the rolling graphs and how, how things are, were pretty cool with Sandy and how things worked. And it, if he can continue to do it, it's great. Like we went into last season loving Sandy because he's got the volume. Like he's a 200 inning pitch guy. We loved all that stuff about him. Then he took that, that next step last year, which was tremendous. Now, can he keep that step? 
we'll see. I think he can. I think most of us think he can. Unless, like Toby said, there, there's those haters out there. So we'll see. But um, I, I do like me some uh, some Sandy Alcantara if you can get him. He somehow slid to pick 58 in my OC the other night. So that was frustrating. Guild's got a gift with um, with him. But uh, that was a, a ridiculous draft. I don't want to get into that right now. But, uh, yeah, he fell. Fell pretty, pretty good. Uh, Robbie Ray, I'm with you. I have none of. It's one of those career year. Um, I think he's a good pitcher. I've always thought he was a good pitcher. I don't think he's this pitcher. Let's put it that way. Like, if he was going three, four rounds later, I'd be all aboard. Like, he should be going in the Erod range. I think they are very similar pitchers to me. Maybe Robbie Ray is slightly better, but I really do think they're a lot alike because at the same time, I think Erod's a discount this year, and we'll get into that uh, later on because I think he's tremendous and he should be uh, in for a big year with the Tigers. So I got no Robbie Ray. I just pass on him for sure. And then Peralta I like a lot as well. I have a lot of Freddie Peralta. You mentioned 144 innings last year. You mentioned the picks mix change. I think he takes the next step. We've seen with the Brewers, they're willing to let their guys continue to develop. We saw Burns go a boatload more innings this past heck freddie went boatload more innings this past year than he was supposed to before the season started last year he was supposed to be in a an opener committee with Lindblom. that lasted one start and then freddie took over and just rolled there was a point mid-season or three quarters of the way where they skipped like one or two starts here and there like they kind of babied him a little bit but still that was just because of the postseason they wanted him for the playoffs he's a stud I wouldn't be shocked if we get 170 to 180 with him, barring something crazy. I think that's a reasonable expectation. And, you know, as the 15th pitcher off the board, almost pick 50, that's pretty darn solid as your SP2 or whatnot. I think there's a lot to like here. Like we saw Woodruff took the next step a couple of years ago. Burns took it this past year. I think Peralta could easily be that kind of next guy. And he doesn't have as big a step to take as some of those guys. Like we've seen what he can do and the upside there. So, and, and the beautiful thing is, you know, we talk about the division, which is, yes, great. But the thing with Peralta, Woodruff is the one. Burns, are, Burns could be the one. You, they can decide that. But those are your ones and twos. So now Peralta's facing the third man in most rotations. He's not even facing the ace, but he's got close to ace-type stuff or I guarantee you closer to ace-type stuff than most third pitchers in rotations. So there's a lot to like there with Peralta. I'm a big fan of him, and um, I got him in a lot of places with Nola. So those are my main two guys in this range. Um but yeah, the Sandy hate needs to stop. I'm with you there. That is that is crazy talk that uh, people are hating on Sandy Alcantara. The dude is freaking awesome. So pretty crazy stuff there. All right, 16 through 20, we have uh, Chris Sale at 56 and a half. Logan Webb at 60. Uh, Joe Musgrove 69. Max Freed 69. Also, and then Kevin Gossman around pick 72. Anybody here? So I do uh, like some of them. Um, so for me, Chris Sale, I feel like he's appropriately at his ADP. It's pretty appropriate. Um, the thing for Sale for me that is that is challenging. You know, obviously he's coming off of his injury uh, last year. He was okay during the regular season. You know, in the short period of time that he pitched. But what's a little bit concerning to me is um, just the quality of contact that he's given up, you know, and again, I don't want to fall into the same like Max Scherzer trap here, but, you know, last year he had that 358 um, BABIP, uh, 309 in the, in the, uh, in 2019. Um, So, you know, over the last two full seasons, he's got that elevated BABIP and he's also developed home run issues. 
one four seven home runs per nine in 2019 again bouncy fun ball but then 1.27 um last year you know the k minus walk rate was still solid the swinging strike rate was down and when i look at projections because i oftentimes will look at projections just as kind of like a a fail safe because for like Scherzer, it's like, ah, well, the projections still love him. So they must see something in what's going on underneath. Whereas with Chris sale, you know, it's like if he had had, they, they have dropped him down. I mean, he's 53rd player overall, um, you know, so right around where he's going in terms of um, his ADP, or at least when, when I had it on my spreadsheet. So he seems fine with where he's going. I think kind of um, a little bit of, a little bit of boom bust, but we know what the upside is. Um, for sure. Logan Webb is really interesting to me. Super high ground ball rate, 61%, but still able to get a high swinging strike rate and a swinging strike rate that improved dramatically as the season progressed and just continued to improve. I mean, if there was anything like you look at his rolling average graphs and literally it's like just continuous improvement throughout the year. The one thing that I do give a little bit of pause on is that Eno, when he released his starting pitchers, um, Jeff Zimmerman had worked on kind of by hand looking at what the injury related risk was for different pitchers and Webb actually rated out, I think highest among the starting pitchers going uh, high on just because of, I think, I consistent shoulder issues. Um, I think he's missed time for shoulder issues maybe. Yeah. In the past, but like, you know, yeah, if we're going to so, start doing that, then we could start talking about a lot of pitchers. That's why I don't understand the one with Webb as severe as it was. I, I just don't get it. Yeah. So, but again, like, I think he's really, really good. Maybe a little bit less of a, of a swing of a K upside, you know, but still like, like, I mean, really strong, really strong. Um, Musgrove, I'm actually not that into. Um, yeah, I just, um, I don't know. I, I feel like with Musgrove, um, you know, the swinging strike rate, 12.7%. I mean, it's all fine, but he got really lucky on Babbitt, 266. He had the highest strand rate he's had. There just seemed to be some luck. And then, am I making things up here on, on the back end? I feel like he was, he wasn't super good. He had a stretch there where it was, it was rough. Like the, I think it was velocity or whatever. It, he was kind of smoking mirrors in it towards the end. It felt like. Yeah, let's see. So, so um, from DFS very clearly. So yeah, after the strong start to the season, the numbers kind of went down a little bit. They were fine towards the end, 25.6% K. You know, the walk rate was elevated a little bit. Swinging strike rate run right around 12.5%. You know, O swing down like a little bit. I think the velocity actually did end up, I thought it went down, but I think it actually might've gone up a little bit, which may be why... The systems like him. Yeah, it went up. It went down like kind of three quarters of the way through the season down to 92.7 on average, but then it went all the way up to 93.7. So maybe that's what they're seeing a little bit with it. Um, but there's nothing that necessarily wows me with Musgrove and he's going so early, like in that seventies range, I just much rather be going after some of the hitters that are available in this range. So I really just haven't been getting him um, at all. Uh, one guy, Gaussman, you said next or freed, 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 then Gaussman. Yeah. Uh, freed. I like, I like, I do not have any of him again because I'm generally targeting the hitters in this range of the draft. I like freed a decent amount. I think he's super 
solid and consistent. And he improved in the second half of last year, um, which was really nice. He's on a really good team. Um, I think if I had to choose between Musgrove and Freed at this point, I would probably go. Um, I would probably go with Freed just because I think he's really solid. Um, but maybe I'm maybe I'm I'm not smart for thinking that. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe I am. Maybe the K rate's too low on low on Freed. I don't know. I just think of Freed Freed as like being really solid. And a guy who, you know, um, on a good team and they, he should be fine. Um, but maybe I should reassess that just looking at some of the skill. He's metrics. good. You should draft him much higher. Trust me. Okay. I should, uh, Gaussman. I actually have a couple, I have a couple shares of Gaussman from earlier drafts. I mean, I got him around like pick 75, 76, I think. Um, I think he's really good. I think it's overblown that he's going to the blue Jays and, you know, um, and the, and the AL East, yes, it's a little bit of challenging, a little bit of, of a challenge, but the metrics just hold up, you know, 15.3% swinging strike rate, 22.28% K minus walk rate. He gets the O swing. We know the splitter is glorious. Uh, the fastball velo was there. He actually, I believe had really good metrics down the stretch too, even though the results sputtered a little bit, I think he was actually pretty good um, in the second half of the season, um, as well. So no really concerns about him wearing down a little bit. Yeah. So the walk rate was down at 3%, um, over his, over his last 10 games, K rate at 28%. So a 25% K minus walk. The swinging strike rate was at 16.6%. The O swing was at a glorious 40%. I mean, that's Sandy Alcantara range and the Z contact was at 82.7. Um, so, I mean, it, all across the board, those are really, really nice numbers. I mean, it's pretty clear, like, I think they play, paid him slightly less, but they actually preferred Gaussman to Robbie Ray, um, potentially. And so, I don't know. I like Gaussman a, a lot going in this range. I think, I don't know why. I, I guess it's just the Blue Jay discount that's happening, but I think he's solid going here. He's probably the one, he's one of the one in this grouping that I have the most of already and probably would have the most of in future drafts as well. Yeah, no, he's getting the, the Blue Jays discount where people forget the humidors put in there. And it's one of the better, I think, I, I think it had better, um, better for pitchers than uh, Oracle is now. I think that's what I saw somewhere in an article, which stood out in a big, big way. So um, take that with a grain of salt. Uh, Mason mentioned that Logan Webb missed time in May with a shoulder issue. I must've just been zoned out by the Giants great season. Cause I looked it up and, he missed a week in May, and then he went back on the IL in June. Didn't come back till mid July, so it was. But then he was so good afterwards. So I don't know. I just I thought it was funny just because there's so many other guys with serious injuries that uh, to make him so severe. And then how the heck do you pre- predict injuries? I don't know. But um, that that's a fun one. Go talk to Doctor Dave McDonald about that one. But um, if I don't have any Logan Webb, so I can't even talk. Like I like Logan Webb a lot. I still think the price is a little too steep. That's just me. I think he's very good, but uh, I'm not paying that because I'm paying for Chris Sale, which might be crazy just at the same time. But when what we saw out of him this past year, 44-ish innings in the bigs, if you combine his minor league rehab, he, he was about 61, 62 innings pitched last year. The strikeout stuff was still very good. You mentioned the contact issues. That is a slight concern, but the innings are there. The strikeouts are there. Um, and to get a potential ace-like guy like uh, Chris Sale, 
this late in the draft as your SP2 potentially, I'm a big fan of because I think he could be, you know, what we saw last year, if we get it even close to the Chris Seal of old, if we just like get a middle spot between last year and the Chris Seal of old, he's tremendous at this draft price. Like really, really tremendous at this draft price. So I like Chris Sale a lot. I've had, I got a lot of Chris Sale shares. And I think another thing is I've talked about it, like in our recap pods last year of our seasons, strikeouts was a big thing for me last year. And at, at, at worst, Chris Sale is going to get you strikeouts. Like he might have some rough outings. He might get you here and there with the ratios, but uh, his strikeouts will be there pretty much time and time again. He did that quite well. And if you go back and look at his game logs, he had a couple outings where it was like first or second innings were just destructive. And then he settled down and finished five or six innings and got the job done. So he's an interesting one. I want to see take that next step. First year, or first year back from injury last year. See how this season goes. Musgrove, I was the guy last year saying, I don't know why people are paying for Musgrove. He pitched well, so I was wrong. But um, like part of me inside, as he was the second half, at least late in the season, watching the the dog and pony show that he was putting out there. I was just waiting for the blowups to happen and he made his way through it, but he wasn't getting the strikeouts. It wasn't really the fantasy guy you were drafting to me, but um, I, I have no much scrub again this year. Love Max Fried though. Love Max Fried. It's been well documented what he did in the second half last year, like ERA of like around two or just below two. It was absolutely ridiculous. Um, and he helped a lot of my fantasy teams out last year because I've been team freed 14 wins. He had 17 wins in 2019. That's something he does. 165 innings both seasons. So he's going to get you kind of deep in games. Finished the year with a 304 ERA. Um, he had a four ERA back in. Um, I am a member at Fangraphs. Leave me alone. Um, 402 in 2019. But uh, the big thing for me is the walk rate, uh, only 6.1% last year, back to kind of the 2019 numbers. So that 2020 shortened season was kind of a hiccup to me between battling injuries and whatnot. And everybody talks about the fly ball issues with uh, with Max Fried. That's fair. That's valid. But he limits hard contact. It's what he does so well. 34% hard contact rate last year, 6% barrel rate, keeps the ball in the ballpark for the most part. You know, 12.1% home run to fly ball last year was the best of his full season career because 19 was 20%, 18 was 20%, 2017 was 21.4%. So he's finding a way to keep the ball in the ballpark. He's still at 27.7% fly ball rate. That's the highest fly ball rate of his career. He's limiting hard contact. He's been much more effective as a pitcher um, as he gets older. And I, I'm just a huge Max Fried fan. I, I, I believe there's another step in Max Fried. He um, he kind of reminds me of the old Glavin type just because he's a lefty per se. Maybe he's more of a Maddox. But he's not an overpowering pitcher, but he's a pitcher. And that is what is working really well for him as he gets older. And I want to see that continue to develop. So I love Max Freed. Like if if people had to pick like a potential, you know, SP two or SP three that could be an SP one next year, I think Freed's hundred percent in that class. I think he could you could see him go at a whole nother level if he could somehow get you like one hundred eighty five innings instead of one sixty five. He could be tremendous. So I, I love Max Freed. Big fan there. And then Gossman, I have none of just because I used to draft Max Freed. That's the difference. I don't have anything against Gossman. Um, I'm a little hesitant just going to pitch in the NL, or the AL East in general. I'm not as hesitant about the ballpark, just those lineups he's going to have to face and just the just grueling nature of it. And he's done it before with the Orioles. We saw how that went. Obviously, a different pitcher now, so I'm not going to say that's the same guy. I'm just I, I'm not there on him. I don't blame anybody that wants to take him, though. He's just not uh, not really on my list, per se. All right, 21 through 25. 
You got Lance Lynn at pick 77, Jack Flaherty at 78 and a half, Barrios at 79, Dylan Cease at 81, um, and Justin Verlander at 84. What do you got going on this range? Yeah. Um, so with Lynn, I don't really have him. Um, I'm a little concerned about the dip in velocity. He's kind of been on a downward trajectory velocity wise for a significant period of time. And there's also a little bit of a, of a, of a walk concern with him, although that did actually improve as the season um, progressed last year, but I just don't, I don't know. Um, It's probably foolish, but I'm not really in on, on Lance Lynn this year. Again, if, if, if in spring training, and I can't emphasize this enough, actually, like pay attention, velocity in spring training matters. Like literally last year, I got Robbie Ray in a couple drafts. I got Sean Manaya in a number of drafts, all because they had increased velo in spring. Um, and, and that translated over to the season and, and it played out well. So definitely pay attention to velocity there. He did have a little bit of an uptick in velocity towards the end, but just it doesn't sit right that like drop in velocity and kind of the issues, the injury issues that he had um, towards the back end of last year. Um, so I haven't really been in on him. Um, Flaherty, you know, I actually like have just totally ignored, mm-hmm. um, which I maybe shouldn't. I mean, he was fine last year. He's shown an ability to suppress Babip. Um, you know, the K minus walk rate isn't great. Swinging strike rate isn't great. The O swing isn't great. In zone contact is fine. So I don't know. I'm just, there's just not enough consistency here for me. That's why I've kind of ignored him, honestly. Like he just, like he hasn't been playing enough over the last few years. And there's enough comparable players in this range for me um, to be going after him. Like, Like last ten games too. So um, I'm 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 a pro pro on Twitter. Check your cord, Toby. Um, oh, check my cord. You can be on in and out right now. Is that better? Yeah, it is. Okay. Um, and you're out again. I'm out again is going on how about there There is it better okay Mm -hmm. maybe i'll just like hold it in place here god i need to get a new mic huh not that Mm -hmm. people need to hear me hear me talk anymore um so barrios i'm a little concerned about barrios just because the skills diminished last year and some of the like the k rate went up we talked about this extensively on our review pod but the k rate went up despite a lot of the metrics that we would usually use to kind of gauge K rate going down. So he had the highest K rate of his career, despite having by or the lowest uh, swinging strike rate that he's had since 2017. Um, the K minus the walk rate was the lowest that it's been, even though he has pretty similar metrics to pre- previous seasons in terms of O swing and, and first pitch strike, which just tell me, tells me that he was really lucky last year. And I think we covered this before it was the K minus walk rate was, um, shifted, uh, dramatically. Um, I love Dylan Cease. Um, I've got a lot of Dylan Cease so far. Um, he ag- absolutely pushed. I mean, the one concern is obviously the walk rate, but he got that within reason and he just absolutely pushed in the second half. 
K rate was huge. Uh, walk rate was still better uh, above league average. Um, but he got, um, the K minus walk rate was around 25%. Um, so just really, um, excellent stuff there. He's in a great division. Um, he's kind of got everything going for him and I still think he might have a next level if he can get that, you know, O swing even higher and get that walk rate down a little bit. So I, I do like Dylan sees a fair amount. And then Justin Verlander, again, he's kind of like a health guy, but I do buy into the logic that, you know, the, um, the Astros wouldn't have given him the deal that they gave for as much money as they gave if they had concerns about how healthy he was and that they would have the best gauge on whether he was healthy or not. And I mean, he was the SP one or SP two in the last full season that he last couple full seasons that he pitched. He's still on the Astros. That's going to be a great spot to be in there. And, um, it's a great ballpark to pitch in that whole, uh, and, um, almost called it the NFC West, uh, the whole AL West, you know, I think that'll be a really nice division to pitch in generally. Um, just because you're going to have like the bad Rangers and the Mariners are just kind of blah. The, the A's are going to be awful. Um, and then you got a lot of pitcher, good pitcher parks. So I like, I like, um, I like Verlander. I, I just drafted him. Um, for me with a lot of these guys, it's just a debate of whether I like go with another one of these pitchers I like, or continue to hammer home with volume, the hitting. Yeah, I have shares of four of these five pitchers. The one I do not have is Jack Flaherty. I'm 100% with you. It's one of those, like, I, I wanted nothing to do with him last year because he's going way too high. It's almost like, okay, now he's come back a bit. Should I, like, reconsider? And I was like, no, it's just not there with Jack Flaherty, at least not for me. Again, I'm I'm willing to be wrong on players, and, like, this is my way of weeding out the player pool a bit. But Flaherty's just not a guy for me. Just not doing it. Um, I do like Lance Lynn. Uh, last year, only 156 innings which was down for Lynn, but overall in his career, a good innings eater, still gets you a lot of strikeouts. Ratios are great. Pitching in for the White Sox, like you mentioned with Giglito. I have no problem with Lance Lynn as your SP2 or SP3 right here. I think it's a really strong spot. I love Jose Barrios because, if anything, he's going to go deep in games, which we've seen even when he's with the Jays. You did mention the strikeout thing. We've talked about that extensively, and that's a concern, but I, there were still some positive gains overall in what he did on the mound which is definitely promising. And he's going to be with those pitching coaches for a full season now in Toronto that we saw what they did with Robbie Ray and company. So hopefully there's a lot more they can do with Barrios there. Plus the team uh, around him is going to help a ton. That's like, I'd rather take a shot on Barrios here than Gossman, you know, 10, 10, 15 picks earlier. I might, I'm probably crazy. A lot of people might disagree with me on that, but if you're just comparing Toronto teammates, I'd rather wait a little bit longer and get Barrios, who perennially has been very, very good. People just get bored with him because he just doesn't have the strikeout stuff. Like he's a more expensive Marcus Stroman. But we saw Stroman start to strike guys out. We're seeing Barrios strike guys out. We'll see how 2022 goes. But I like both of them. But I like Barrios quite a bit. Uh, Dylan Cease I love. Like I honestly thought that Helium would have come up a lot more on Cease by now. I'm surprised he's still going this late. I figured he'd be up by Logan Webb or something by now. Uh, with the amount of tweets and articles you see about Dylan Cease being great and all these things, because he is. He's awesome. He was phenomenal last year. The strikeout stuff is insane. It's always been about the walks with Dylan Cease. We said that going into last season. We said that pretty much all the time with him. He figured that out better this past year. And if you can continue to do that, that'll be tremendous. So i a huge Dylan Cease fan. Lots of shares there. And if you want to take the chance on Verlander, I'm with you. They gave him a contract for a reason. I have a couple shares just because I think he's still going too late. The reasons I love Chris Sale, I love Justin Verlander. Um, if he's good to go, there's no innings limit. 
he's fine. Like he's he's old. That's a short deal. They're going to use him. That's just the way it's going to go. It's not like Noah Syndergaard. It's not like some of these other guys on coming off injuries. If he's good to go, he's rolling. And that's what you got to expect of Justin Verlander. So I am a, a big fan of him in that scenario. All right, 26 through 30. We have Trevor Rogers at 88, uh, Alec Manoa at 91 and a half, Charlie Morton at 92, Luis Castillo at 94, and you, Darvish, at 99, Toby. Wow. Um, so Trevor Rogers, I actually, man, I, mi- I missed him in, in thinking through it. Um, yeah, I'll talk about the guys that I, that I, that I looked up. I don't know why I just missed Trevor Rogers. Maybe everybody can formulate their own opinions on him and just listen to you too. Um, so with Manoa, Manoa is kind of interesting to me. Like I don't have him anywhere. He actually saw some pretty great kind of improvements in the strikeout skills as the season progressed. But at the same time, he saw his walk rate skills uh, like get worse. So like, I mean, the Z contact fell off a plate, which is really good. The strikeout rate over his last five was at 31%, which is really good too. My concern is that he's got a below league average O swing. So he's not getting chases on pitches outside the zone. Um, and the walk rate, um, is elevated as well. And so my concern is that we don't have the sample size for Manoa to know whether he is a guy that suppresses contact and suppresses home runs. Last year he did 246 BABIP and a 0.97 home run per nine. What I worry a little bit is with more exposure and, you know, uh, him being in his sophomore year and hitters making adjustments to him. Like if he is not a better than league average suppressor of contact, which is likely that with that walk rate, it could get a little bit dicey, especially, you know, in the AL East. Again, don't ding him too much for being in the AL East. Um, but, you know, the projections point toward, and I kind of think like high three ZRA, low four ZRA, something like that. Um, but it could also be really, really good. It's always the challenge with some of these, um, uh, some of these younger pitchers. Charlie Morton, um, I like Charlie Morton a lot. Um, we talked about this in our review pod, but if you look at Charlie Morton's last like five seasons, they're all really good. 362 ERA, 313, 305, 474, 334, you know, whip 119, 116, 108, 139, 104. There's the clear like disaster shortened season in 2020 where he was injured and just high BABIP and everything was bad. Outside of that, he's been consistently excellent and it's a broken leg. So there's no reason to believe there should be any residual problems um, with that. And so uh, I really like Charlie Morton here. And if you like, even as an SP2, if you're going kind of lighter on on starting pitcher here for an SP2, I really like Morton as well. Um, with Castillo, I'm just kind of a no on him. I had him last year in a couple big spots. And so maybe it's just partially that. But I just think that, you know, I don't like guys that are so heavily reliant on one pitch. It's one of the reasons why I've shied away from Patrick Corbin for a while, been right on that and been very wrong on that as well. But like, I just, it it can go bad so quickly. Um, And, and with him, like the whip just hasn't been there, right? Like 
in the last, uh, he, I mean, he had the 107 in his rookie year and only in 89 innings, but then 122, 123, 136 with that 114 in there. And that one was a very suppressed Babbitt. And so I'm just not sure. The walk rate is high. The changeup is really good. But if it's not on or guys aren't chasing pitches outside the zone, it can get really bad really quick. So I'm just trying to stay away from those guys that kind of blow up. Darvish is super interesting. Um, you know, last year, his his skills were, were um, you know, they got worse as the season progressed, but he still had a really good K-minus walk rate. Um, he still had really good metrics overall. Uh, he was just injured, and then he gave, gave up a ton of home runs. He had a the horrible combination of a ton of home runs, his home run per, not, or per fly ball shot to its highest rate, I think, in forever. His BABIP was super high, too, and so it all just kind of fell to pieces when he was injured. But I, but the problem with that is you're assuming if things are going to get better that he's not going to get injured. And honestly, like the story of his career is being injured, you know, on a fairly consistent basis. And so, and he's older and, and, and so I'm just not sure whether I want to invest in that, but I, I can certainly see the high upside play there, you know, where you have a guy who was going in the first round last year um, with pretty comparable metrics um, you know, who, who can continue to do that. Uh, so Trevor Rogers, just really quickly, like, I mean, everything looks really good from just, um, an everything perspective. The walk rate is a little elevated, a little higher than I'd like it to be falling behind hitters, but he can compensate with a really nice in zone contact. The swinging strike rate is really, um, nice as well. I'm interested to see just kind of as the season progressed, how those skills, um, moved because I know he was worse in the second half, but still overall good. And he was so good in the first half. It was impossible for him not to be. Yeah. So this is like a, maybe, uh, the end zone contact rate continued to grow over his last 10. So it's up at 84.2, you know, O swing was pretty static. K rate was at 27.1 swinging strike rate was down slightly. Walk rate was still a little bit elevated. So I think he's fine. I think he's really solid. I'd worry a little bit about just the volume, jump that he experienced as well. Um, you know, jumping up, I think like, what was it? A hundred, hundred innings or something like that in a single season. So that would be my concern there. I don't have any shares of him so far. Yeah. That's my concern with Rogers. He's awesome, but I'm concerned that that volume jump. What do we see this year? We saw some of that, like a little bit of regression towards the end of the year. Like you mentioned, he's probably going to be just fine. Um, the, 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 and the Marlins have a slew of, uh, starting pitching options that they have to like give them some time to, to, to rest or whatnot, or maybe they just trade them. Cause that's what the Marlins are doing. They don't want to be competitive. So we'll see how that goes, but I do like Trevor Rogers. I'm with you. I just don't have any shares. I, I have none of him. Cause we just talked about that last group of five where I have four of the five kind of leads me off a lot of these guys. That's just kind of how it goes. So I have no Trevor Rogers, Alec Manoa. I like him. He's another guy. I don't have any shares of, he was a, a polarizing person last year. He was either outstanding or he got destroyed. It was all about like the games he got destroyed. It was home runs. Games he get pitched great, no home runs. Seems simple, but uh, there's obviously more to it. And if he can continue to uh, to build on the, I guess, end of the season or was much more consistent, that'll be tremendous. Uh, again, another Jays pitcher that should thrive. I have none of Charlie Morton. I do have a lot of because. Like with Rodgers and Manoa, I just mentioned there's a lot of question marks. You know, they're young. Are they going to take the next step? What, what, how are they going to do it? Morton, we know what we're getting. Like, as long as he's healthy, which people give him a hard time, but you mentioned he's pre stayed pretty healthy. It's a broken leg. I'm not worried about that injury. 
and just low ratios, high strikeouts, workhorse. Um, and the Braves need it because you have Freed, who we talked about earlier, who's who goes pretty deep in games. But outside of Freed, there are a lot of question marks in that Braves rotation. Lots of question marks, lots of young arms. So you put um, you put Freed with Morton to kind of be your innings eaters. That's tremendous. So I like Morton quite a bit uh, as you can get on this late in the draft. Luis Castillo. Jenny Butler was on my show last Thursday. She's been making the podcast rounds, and um, she made a great point. We were talking Reds. Luis Castillo, I had shares of everywhere. He was him and Julito last year, and we know how bad the start of last season was for Castillo, but he finished as one of the best pitchers in baseball for like the second half or like almost three quarters of the season. Like He was phenomenal once he kind of shook off whatever was going wrong to start the season. And um, Jenny made a great point. It's like we know who he is. We know what he's done. Is this change in ADP, this drastic change, is it like should he be going 15, 20 picks higher? Like should, should you have dropped him back from last year? Probably yes. Like he was going uh, – some guys were taking him early second round, if not late second, early third. But the fact he's going closer to like pick 85 right now instead of say 60, like round five, is this is this a reasonable conversation? Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe it was pure spitballing, but – we know how good he can be. We know that the the Babbitt killed him last year. He could get traded to a much better team, which could really skyrocket things because a lot of Castillo's issues last year is he's always been a walk guy, but the Babbitt was through the roof last year. So that is something we have to keep in mind because, you know, as long as Kyle Farmer plays shortstop, that's going to be a perennial problem. But if they get Barrero up there, much better defender. So it makes things interesting in Cincinnati where Castillo could – potentially be a nice little value in this section of the draft type situation. We'll see. I don't have, uh, I think I have like one share right now. I haven't gone all in on him, but he's, it, it kind of opened my eyes to like, we have to kind of forget. It's not as bad as it was type thing. If that makes sense. Like we got to remember how good he really was. What did we like about him to draft him that early? And did he lose that? And he didn't. And that's the thing. So uh, we it might be kind of too much of an overcorrection in that regard, or I'm just naive. Uh, you Darvish, last one here. He's so tough for me because I agree with everything you said. The injury concerns, they're through the roof with you, Darvish. Like he should have a higher injury concern to Logan Webb to me. <laughs> that's that that's the kind of thing. I get Webb had the shoulder injury last year and everything. Younger pitcher. We've seen Darvish do it time and time and time again, as you mentioned. It's like it's a perennial not perennial, but at least almost semi-annual thing with you, Darvish. Now, you mentioned um the metrics were great. He too many home runs is like a crazy run for home runs. He scuffled a bit after the sticky stuff, but then if you start to break it down, he still pitched fine. It's just the home runs. It was really bizarre with Darvish. Um, that could be a simple correction. At the same time, can he stay healthy? So I think he's one of those guys. If you're willing to gamble on like the ceiling, I think he's a phenomenal pick. Like phenomenal pick because we know what Darvish could be. Similar to the Castillo argument I just gave, it's another guy that was going. You know, he's almost pick 100 right now. He was going 70 to 80 picks higher last year. So um, you're getting a discount, yes, but can he stay healthy? Can he adjust to the home runs? That's a great question. I think he's worth a pick here if you're willing to build some more stability early in your rotation. But um, make sure you got the stability. It's the best way I can say it because it is a very, very risky pick with you, uh, Darvish. One that I'm very torn on. I have zero shares of you, Darvish, but um, I look at him a lot in drafts going, hmm, should I take the gamble? Should I take the gamble? I have not, 
but um, I could see this one of the being one of those picks that pans out type thing. And I sit back going, darn it. I should have taken that gamble, but we shall see. All right. Listener question time. We will move to, we actually have quite a few. Um, our buddy Ben Ted at breaking Ben underscore T. I'd like to hear you guys discuss your strategy for drafting starters through the first seven rounds. So far, I've been trying to take an ace in rounds two through three, and they get some like Morton or Verlander who goes in the tier after Webb, Gossman, Lynn, Sale, etc. Ben, beginning of the podcast has you covered. We went through the whole strategy of the pocket aces and all that good stuff, so you are good to go there. Uh, Nico at Picho King says... Thanks for answering my question last week on the pod, guys, and responding in general. Appreciate it. I'm curious to know how much you weigh, how good of a team a pitcher is on when deciding between two guys in the same range, say like Julio Urias and Sandy Alcantara. I think it's a definite help if you have a really close thing. We've talked about like the central teams. So what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, I think, a, yeah, like a, tie, a tiebreaker um, is a good way to think about it. Wins are a category. And the better a team is, the more chance they're going to get to go after wins. So, I mean, I think I'd even slightly elevate it a little bit more than a than a tiebreaker. Um, I, I wouldn't draft Julio Arias ahead of um, Sandy Alcantara. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think in, in certain situations, like, I mean, we talked about Woodruff and Wheeler a little bit there. Um, you know, I'd give a little bit of a bump to to Woodruff over Wheeler as a result of that. So I think it's just one of those situations. I think, I think one of the things that you just need to be cognizant of is don't have a starting pitching. That's like where you're like, I'm getting Sandy Alcantara and Trevor Rogers. And, you know, you look back and every, every pitcher you get is on a really, every pitcher that throws volume that you get is on a weak offensive team or a team that that that's not very good because I think that's where you get in a little bit of a dilemma because honestly, like, I mean, we could probably look at wins from last year. Like who were the league leaders in wins from last year? We'll, we'll take a look at that really quickly. So pitching and wins, the league leaders for pitching wins were Urias, good team, Wainwright, you know, pretty good team, but also, um, goes deep into really deep into games. Uh, Bueller, good team. Cole, good team. Uh, Scherzer, not very good team. Wheeler, mediocre team. Gaussman, really good team. Morton, really good team. Freed, really good team. Right. So you just kind of like, you get this sense that a lot of the guys that are going to lead the league in wins are going to be from this, from kind of the better teams. And so you just got to be cognizant of that. So don't draft all of the guys on really bad teams. Make sure you have some guys that are going to get you win. So guys that get volume and are on good teams, but it's really hard to find those later on in drafts. So generally that's like kind of earlier on. Yeah, definitely. But it is a factor. Like we've mentioned it multiple times on the show, like, Hey, this guy pitches for so-and-so. So, it is there. It's not the end-all be-all, but it does help because you mentioned the wins conversation. Uh, Little Book of Calm asks, you have previously mentioned your projection system pre- preferences for hitters, bad X per plate appearance, scale to ATC plate appearances. 
It is my belief that starting pitcher projections are less accurate than batter projections and don't account for things like pitch mix change, division, manager preferences, etc. So my question is, and he's right there, how much do you rely on pitcher projections versus other factors during your evaluation of the starting pitcher position? Um, early on, not that much. So like earlier on in drafts, I will not really pay that much attention to projections. I'll look at them. I think it's valuable to like take in as much information as you can, but, um, I'm not going to just trust them blindly. I don't do that with hitters either, but you know, there are, there are things that clearly pitchers can do increases in, in velocity, um, pitch mix changes, like you mentioned, Bubba, that have an impact on pitchers' performance. And oftentimes, because of the way projections work, they're both slow to change, and they also include information where if a guy had a really bad season, like Lucas Giolito is a really good example. Like his projections were so, so bad the year after he was really good because he was the worst pitcher in baseball the year before. Similarly, like Dylan Cease this year has really bad projections, and that's because they're taking him when he was god-awful, you know, two years ago. And they're weighing that pretty heavily in, ter- in terms of the projection. So I think you n- got to be able to notice things like that, and you need to be able to adapt there. But what I will do is look at guys that projections really like and try to figure out why. Like, Sean Manai is a good example this year. Like, he's player like 70 overall in my rankings. And he's, you know, so he's like 60 spots ahead of ADP in terms of my rankings. And I want to know what it sees. And what it probably sees is the increased velo, the bad luck on balls in play last year. Um, And so then I want to kind of notice those types of things and be like, oh, there's got to be a reason why that's happening. Just like with Justin Verlander, you know, it's kind of sending that same signal. So that's kind of how I handle um, the projections a little bit. But I agree, I don't pay attention to them at all. And I do not plug them into... As I draft, I do not plug plug them into a spreadsheet and figure out what my projected ERA and WHIP are, just because it can't, it doesn't, it doesn't. That's just not the way you use pitchers during the course of a season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like uh, Jenny mentioned that last episode, she says, "Yes, do your spreadsheets, monitor your stats, but if you're using projections for um, ratios, make sure you're doing it the proper way by dividing by innings pitched and all that stuff. You can't just like add them together and divide." Uh, so keep that in mind, but yeah, pitchers projections, I guess anything it's, um, I just kind of look at, uh, where they think ratios kind of look to be. I'm not using them as the end all be all. Uh, I looked at, uh, guys for like innings pitched. Do they see like a bump in usage and whatnot, but pitching is tough. Yes. Pitching, like obviously hitters projections are much more fluid, I guess you could say. I don't know if that's the right word, but much more doable, much more explainable. Uh, we're pitching. There's so many things that can go wrong. And literally it's, you know, Castillo had like, or Giolito had that one really bad outing and it blew up his whole season. So the ratios don't even look close type situation um, where a hitter, it's only like two or three hits a month can change so much. So it's, there's just so many, so many different things and he can project plate appearances for hitters so much easier. So definitely something to consider. Our buddy Yancey, Yancey Eaton. Are there any top 35 starting pitchers that you just don't see yourself drafting at all this year? Sandy Alcantara feels like that guy for me. I just don't see a path for him returning anything close to positive value at ADP. Well, first, Yancey, we kindfully disagree. But um, anybody in the top thir- – well, we'll go top 30. That's all we covered tonight. Anybody in the top 30 that you just don't see yourself drafting? 
um, Bueller, Urias, Bueller, Urias, Barrios. Trevor Rogers, probably Luis Castillo. Those are the guys that I would say I I do not I will not be drafting this year probably. Mine's an easy one. I think um, my main one I will not be drafting. Uh, Jack Flaherty will probably not be in any of my rosters. Oh, Jack Flaherty's a good one. Add him to my list too. Yeah, that's just one guy. I just don't think I'll be um, going anywhere on. Other than that, I could and Robbie Ray probably not on my list. And Julio Arias. Those are probably three guys I just don't see being on any of my rosters this season. Just just not happening. Um, all right. Dave Petros Yellow asks, with the implementation of the universal DH, how would you change your projections for NL starting pitchers? I was thinking an addition of 0.15 to 0.2 of ERA and about 0.005 of whip. What do you guys think? Does that move any NL guys down a smidge? Uh, that's way beyond, that's way beyond me, honestly. Um, the, all the projection systems that I use are factoring in the NLGH and I know they tackle it differently, but just use the wisdom of the crowds. And it's better to not just focus on one number. It's better to aggregate those numbers. Um, you know, and the chances are that you're likely to be closer to what it will actually be. Um, so even with that, I mean, when I look at my projections, Cole is the, is the number one SP. But then it you got DeGrom, Scherzer, Burns. So you got three NL guys. You got Bieber. Then you got Wheeler, uh, Woodruff, uh, Nola, Ray. So it's really like mixed. So I just think, um, yeah, I, I, I don't get into that like nitty gritty. I know that there are much smarter people than me who do uh, um, and more power to you. But for me, I'm just like the projection systems will and the people behind them will be able to figure out that much better than I will. So just use projection systems that already factor it into the equation. Yep. I think that's a very fair answer because much out of my pay grade. Um, uh, Randall three, nine, seven, one, four, nine, one, nine asks um, any non-zero likelihood real life moves when the lockout ends that would materially alter your views, projections, rankings, for example, Reds trading Castillo, Gray, Molly, or service time manipulation uh, ending affecting Contreras, Kirby, Meyer, Grayson. Ooh, there's a lot going on there. <laughs> um, obviously, things would change if guys get traded at different locations. I think that's pretty standard there. Uh, service time manipulation is tough to predict in uh, March. Yeah, I mean, the one thing that I would say is like, I'm just looking at the most recent proposal, and they're still still chatting i guess there's like a yep. counter proposal from the mlbpa yeah, that going just late, came late through. tonight mlbpa yeah. mlbpa just had doordash drop off mcdonald's to their office oh man Holy yeah they're going. um and they um uh, so i do think so so like in the proposal that i was i was reading somewhere on twitter it was saying that you know, I don't think there will be material changes to maybe the super two, but there will be incentives for teams. So like if they bring up a guy on opening day who gets a certain number of votes for the rookie of the year, that they will get draft pick compensation or something like that. So they are trying to address that. So I would say, yeah, I mean, it could materially change it if you know that certain good rookie pitchers are going to be in Major League Baseball um, from, from kind of the get-go. Um, I'm not sure how many like really high quality 
starting pitchers there are that are still on the market. I'm trying to think of who the best ones available are, but it's mostly relief pitchers. So I think that's probably the biggest shift. And then, yeah, like you mentioned, I mean, trades can definitely shift things. And I think there's a couple ways that that works. If they get traded to a team that, that you trust their pitching more. So like, let's say they get traded to the Giants or they get traded to the Rays or they get traded even to the Pirates, I kind of trust their pitching, their new pitching staff, or to the White Sox, or some team like that, where you feel like they have an established track record of really getting more out of pitchers. That can impact it. Uh, ballpark can certainly impact it, like you mentioned, Luis Castillo moving out of, um, you know, uh, Great American Small Park and moving into like the Giants or something anywhere. like that. <laughs> yeah, any anywhere else yeah. um, could be a could be a big impact there as well. So, and then the defense, right? Like any any guy that goes to the Cardinals, you know, you automatically are like, man, they're really good defensively and they play in a really strong pitcher's park. So I think there's a couple layers to that. There's the service manipulation piece. There's the teams that are maybe more sophisticated at pitching. And then there's the kind of pitching environment or ballpark that they're in. Yeah. It's, I think the trade ones are going to be more, more active as you mentioned. Um, but we'll wait and see if they're good. You never know what happens. You never know what's going to happen, but Definitely, if a guy is moving out of some of these situations, it will definitely affect the rankings and projections. That's 100% a thing. And the the young players, you mentioned the manipulation, I guess, like Kirby and those guys, I don't see starting the season anyways. So I don't know where, where that one's going to go. Uh, so take that as you wish. Uh, Torres, at Torres Takes, uh, the uh, had the, a great state of the baseball union. If people missed that on Twitter, yeah, go check funny. that out. That was good. Um, he says, who's the last pitcher you're comfortable taking as your SP1? Man. Um, I don't know. Right now, <laughs> probably Zach Wheeler. Um, I know that's ridiculous to say. I mean, the thing is, like, I can I can build a team, and I'm sure it's really fun to build a team where you don't. I mean, Nola, I think it'd be fine. Giolito, fine. Alcantara, I think it'd be tough just because of, I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but the wins factor, like I'd feel much more comfortable with Alcantara as my kind of SP2. So maybe it's Giolito. Maybe it's Giolito there. I still don't love it. I don't like it. I probably wouldn't do it. It would make me really, really uncomfortable, but sometimes it's good to step outside your comfort zone, you know, and really challenge yourself. So I might do it there, but that's really it. And I know it sounds absolutely ridiculous, but this is just like, how I feel comfortable drafting and what feels good. Yeah. So, you know, that's, that's, that's what I'm going with. I did have one draft where I drafted Tatis junior. And I think I went Tatis junior. I think Alcantara or no, maybe, maybe it was Nola. And I think I got like Liam Hendricks or Josh Hader or something like that. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's um for me. I think it's Aaron Nola. That'd be my last guy I'm good with as an SP one. Given uh, I I think I've started with Freed as an SP one, or maybe Chris Sale as one. That's dicey. You better be aggressive with your next couple of SPs to get like load up on that mid tier. But I know I've started with Aaron Nola in a couple, so that's one. That's where I think I kind of draw my line. Where that's where I want to be. But again, I've been much more flexible this year than years past where I was like hard set on getting aces, doing this, where I'm like, I really like this mid-range. There's still a bunch of guys we have, we'll talk about next week that I don't mind. And it's just like you've talked about the reason pocket aces work so well. 
is the consistency of the guys up top compared to the guys in the middle. There's a reason they're up top compared to the middle, and that's a big factor for your team. So you're, you're playing for the little more fire down below, but still doable as I, as I look at it. Phony Front Office 99 asks, what are a few guys in the 20 to 35 range that are your best bets to potentially end this year as a top 15 starting pitcher? Um, I think that, I think we kind of covered the guys that we like. So what did he say? 20 to 35? Yeah. Max Fried's just inside that number. I'm bummed. Oh, um, it's a I'd say Cease, Verlander. Yep. Top 15? Yeah. Top 15. Uh, Cease, Verlander, Morton. Those would be yeah. kind of my bets, I guess. Yeah. I'm kind of with you on that one. That seems fair. Cause like you could see potentially like a Manoa or a Rogers. I just don't know if they throw enough innings to get there. Like I'm still kind of concerned about that with those two arms. So we will take a wait and see approach on that one. And with that note, we're done. Part one in the books, Toby. Uh, final yeah. thoughts. We went through 30 starting pitchers. Oh, are, we're, are we not doing that at one question? Oh, I thought you were going to answer that on Twitter. I can oh, ask no, 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 no. Okay. Yeah, 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 no, I think it's better to handle handle okay. like on a podcast where you can talk about it. Okay, Richard Sands asks, what do you think of what Gray Albright said about pocket aces on the Rotosurgeon podcast? He called them high aces, to be fair. And then I think it like, there's like another tweet about, uh, there's another tweet. Oh, about I it. didn't save that one, so. Um, uh, he says, paraphrasing, can you believe people take high aces? Pitchers have so much variation, but then you take two pitchers early. Don't people ever learn? Look at how poorly all these top pitchers did last year. Uh, went on for a few minutes. Listen, um, I'm not sure what the issue is with like uh, with Razball and the pocket aces. It seems to really have like become like a really uh, big thing to talk about. The reason why I wanted to highlight it is just like, look, people should build their teams how they want to build their teams. You can build winning teams any way that you want to, right? Um, like the only issue I have with it is just like saying that it's an approach that doesn't work or that doesn't make sense. Because I think like what I want to see is like research to support it, right? So when we talk about like, oh, like the the aces, there's always so much volatility within the aces. Like there's actually been research that's been done in the process by... Jeff Zimmerman and Tanner Bell that shows that aces that have previous, uh, previously um, achieved at a high level are actually more reliable to achieve at a higher level than hitters are. You also think just fundamentally about the way that the game is structured with 14 hitters and nine pitchers and only a certain percentage of those pitchers pitching volume, right? If you look at the research that Baseball HQ has done, last year they took a look at the winners of the main event and 50% of the winners of the main event took a starting pitcher in the first round, given what we know about starting pitchers and how many win in the first round, those teams overperformed, uh, teams that took pocket aces, uh, last year in the main event, uh, won 21% of the leagues. And there's only, there's less than seven, like in a 15 team league, each team has a less than 7% chance of winning if all things are equal. So unless more than three, three players in every round were taking pocket aces, people who did pocket aces were also 
overperforming. And there's reasons why, because when you're an ace level pitcher, even when you underperform, you're still generally not hurting your team. But that being said, like, don't draft aces if you don't want to draft aces. I think that's perfectly fine. But what I would do, the one thing that I have a challenge with is, is when folks say that it's like easy to draft a pitcher going later, or they say that there's like no busts in the hitters. What I would ask everybody to do, like analysts, we put out our rankings, we do all those things. Just go back to the previous year and look at the rankings that people had for pitchers and for hitters and see how they did, right? We all can go back and look at that. And so that's for all of us, right? And what we're going to learn pretty quickly, what I learn every single year when I draft is I'm really bad at predicting the future and predicting what's going to happen with starting pitchers, with hitters. I'm bad at pretty much all of it. But I think the thing that, that is important about pocket aces is the way that you build from there and the roster construction that you have when you do that, right? Just drafting the first two pitcher, two, two slots and giving up doesn't make sense. So I just say, let's all have like some accountability Let's all share research and say why things work or why they don't, because there's reasons and justifications for each. But I would just say, like, with every person who says it's easy to do this or there's so many busts in that, there's so few busts in that, just go back and look at previous season's rankings and see how it worked out in the full season. Because what I'll tell you is we're all really bad at it. Well said, so, Toby. Much, much, uh, much more humane than I would have said. So much better. Uh, yeah, the, the greatest fantasy baseball season we've ever seen just had pocket aces. So take that with consideration uh, when people are clowning things that don't work very well. And uh, there is more to uh, like go look at the rankings, as Toby mentioned. That's all I'm going to say. Toby's a nice guy, but um, it's true. Build the team, have fun, do it your way. That's like we talked about this show as Toby does his pocket aces. I said I can pretty much tell you in a roundabout way what he's trying to do rounds five through six or or up to round five through six. I kind of know what his direction is for the most part. Then then he differentiates. That's where he does his thing. But it's not that he can't do it a different way. It's just what makes him feel comfortable. And he's very good at it. Um, Last year, I was more pocket aces. This year, like I said, I'm kind of more flexible, kind of more get my Aaron Nola and go from there type situation. We'll see. You got to adjust with the draft. Like I've, I've, I've mentioned it a few times, doing that OC the other night with that room of just insanely good players. That was a lot of picks that I don't take or a lot of jumping of picks. Like it was a whole different ball game. So you have to be able to adapt. You have to be able to draft your way and you have to throw rankings out the window. That's the way I look at it. You got to just kind of know your thing, know your player pool and go from there. And the one, the one thing I'll add, Bubba, too, is I love Raswell. Like, I'm a subscriber to the weekly Oh, you're one of the biggest people that got me turned on to it. Yeah. They're like, it's great. It's fantastic. And so Rudy does it's a just great like, job. Yeah, it's just like, you know, let's all do our own thing. And, you know, if you have a reason to criticize something or you don't like doing it, like, that's fine. But just like, I mean, just, um, yeah, just like share the research, you know? Yep. I'm with you. I'm with you. And on that note, we will head on out of here. We'll be back next week with your part two uh, SP preview going through another 30 plus picks, give or take, see how things go. And hopefully we have a deal because as we're talking, um, the MLB is reviewing the MLB PA's counter offer as we speak, and they are prepared to agree or send a counter back tonight. So they're going to keep going into this evening. 
might still have our hopes up, but it seems like there's actually give and take right now that we have not seen the entire time. Like there's movement on subjects. So hopefully by the time we record next Tuesday, we have spring training because once the deal's done, they report within like two to three days. So that would be beautiful. We'll go that route and we'll have much more going on. But until then, check out Toby on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. I'm at BDentric. If you guys want to watch the barf draft, it's Saturday at the rec room in San Francisco. If you're around, you're welcome to join us. If not, there will be links from all of us probably on Twitter to follow the draft because it's on NFPC. So you can check that out. But a fun group of guys should be a blast. Come check that out if you feel like it or watch it online. Have some fun with that. But with that, we'll catch you guys 